Hey everybody, welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode 7. This is your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Mike, how are you this week? I'm well, Ben. How are you? Doing fine, doing okay. Um, I'm wondering if you've decided which disinfectant you're going to inject yourself with to stop the coronavirus. Everyone is saying Lysol, but I like to go against the tide, so... I'm thinking of going with 409. It's kind of an under-the-radar option, but it's, according to their website, it's the go-to spray for your greasiest, germiest messes. And I have to say, coronavirus is a germy mess. So, as the old saying goes, if the disinfectant fits, inject it into your veins. I'm going to uh, I'm going to have a kind of combined therapy where I'm going to go and find a sunbed. I'm going to find a sunbed. I'm going to down some Dettol. I don't know if uh, Americans have Dettol, but it's it's like a extremely strong disinfectant. It's actually made by the same company that makes Lysol. So I'm I, I that's my sort of combo therapy. You know, it's a bit like it's kind of a more holistic approach than yours, I would say. So it probably has a better chance of working. Yeah, I haven't heard of that. So maybe we don't have it here, or maybe it goes by another name. Um, sounds kind of like Pine Sol, which. According to their website, Pine Sol is an all-purpose cleaner and multi-surface cleaning product that can clean and disinfect your home, floors, kitchen, and, wait for it, more. Now, try telling me that more is not shorthand for the human body. Folks, we're, we're kidding, honestly. Or, or are, we, are, are we kidding? I don't, I don't know where – yeah, I don't know where reality ends and the onion begins anymore. No, no, it's this, the, the line is blurred, forever blurred. It's gone now. You know, we're, we're officially living in the twilight zone. I mean, this this really, of everything the guys said, I think this might take, okay, this is, I think, uh, what did Joe Biden tweeted out today. He said, I, I can't believe I have to say this, but um, don't drink bleach, everyone. And I think that kind of sums up where we are now as a, as a country, as a nation, that you have the competitor or you have the opponent you know the, the democratic opponent he's not talking about healthcare. he's not talking about um social security he's not talking about the environment he's not even talking about a coronavirus he's not talking about the pandemic he's telling people not to drink bleach this is the bar now that we've set to become president sad i'd like to just quickly read uh, the company that makes lysol actually they make Dettol too it's a british company they wrote on their website it's rb.com they, they make disinfectants, and this is their tagged under improper use of disinfectants. So it says, due to the recent speculation and social media activity, RB, the maker of Lysol and Dettol, has been asked whether internal administration of disinfectants may be appropriate for the investigation or use as treatment for coronavirus. As a global leader in health and hygiene products, we must be clear that in, this is on, in bold writing. Under no circumstance should our disinfectant products be administered into the human body through injection, ingestion, or any other route. As with all products, our disinfectants and hygiene products should only be used as intended and in line with usage guide, guidelines. Please read the label and safety information. The fact that they felt compelled to issue that statement is ridiculous. It's good that they did because as we know, sadly, a lot of people listen to what the president says. We had that couple in Arizona that ingested hydroxychloroquine among other ingredients that were included in their fish tank cleaner and they ingested yeah. it. The guy died. Yeah, I don't know if he specifically heard Trump say that, but Trump has been the biggest promoter 
of hydroxychloroquine. So people listen and they take his advice, no matter how ridiculous it is. So this statement is sadly necessary. I've been watching Breitbart cover this, and there's the most amazing article in Breitbart by a guy. Uh, this is Joel Pollock. I don't know if you're familiar with the writers in Breitbart, but Joel Pollock is kind of like the, uh, I think he's the editor at large or whatever. He's a kind of roving, roving reporter, and he wrote a piece titled Fact Check. No, Trump did, didn't propose injecting people with disinfectant. I think you've got some audio, right? We have some audio of Trump saying the thing he said that Breitbart apparently uh, wants he didn't to say. He didn't say. So let's take a listen at that. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant, but knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it builds it in one minute, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. So I just wanted to provide quick background before you get into the Breitbart thing. One is today, Friday, uh, Trump said that he was actually being sarcastic when he said all of what he just said. And the other thing is that we didn't really mention that he, uh, he also advocated light as a potential cure for coronavirus because one of his homeland security flunkies had just gotten through explaining sunlight and heat can kill coronavirus more quickly than colder climates, which is generally true of viruses like a virus, you know, a flu virus on a park bench will not last as long in 90 degree weather than say 45 degree weather. We know that to be true, but Trump in his brain, which is basically like that of a 10 year old, he hears this. He's like, oh, light's bad for the virus. Therefore, if we can somehow blast light into people's bodies as if the virus like exists in one location in the body and instead, as opposed to like invading all of your cells or invading a lot of your cells and, and replicating like in his 10 year old mind, this is a solution. <laughs> so the Breitbart filter. Uh, which is amazing. It's an amazing piece of propaganda. It really is. I, I don't like to send people to um, to Breitbart.com, but in this instance, I, I would definitely, I would definitely do that. What they're saying he meant. This is what Joel Pollock writes. He says at no time did Trump actually propose injecting patients with disinfectant. So that's that's a and that's a quote. He deferred to medical doctors to figure out how to apply Dr. Bryant's research. When ABC News' Jonathan Cole asked Dr. Bryant about whether the president had proposed injecting a person with bleach and isopropyl alcohol, Trump clarified that it wouldn't be through injection and that he was talking about cleaning sterilization of an area and about applying the disinfectant to a stationary object. Okay, so let's just read that quote again. But Pollock says at no time did Trump actually propose injecting patients with disinfectant. So Trump's actual quote says, I see the disinfectant where he knocks it out in a minute. And this is 
is and is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside or almost a cleaning? Okay, so just a quick question about that. Why would one need to inject a floor or a stationary object? So would you use injection to to clean a stationary area? Like apparently that's what Trump says he's he was he meant. Oh, I clean sterilization of an area. So why would you need to use an injection for that? What the the bright bot is trying to make you believe that what Trump said he didn't actually say he said he said something else. He didn't say that, even though it's a direct quote, a literal direct quote when he's talking about injecting injecting people with disinfectant. And he's saying that's not what he said. And what he was actually talking about was something else. He was talking about cleaning an area. I think Breitbart has adopted the Trump axiom that what you're seeing and what you're reading is not actually what's happening or however that quote went from a couple of years back. You know, this gets to alternative facts. You know, Kellyanne Conway and Rudy Giuliani, truth isn't truth. We've reached sort of pinnacle of stupidity now. Can it get worse than this? This is what I have a hard time kind of understanding or coming to terms with. Surely it can't get dumber than this. Can it? Somewhere, if Trump is listening, he's saying, challenge accepted. (laughs) Because I, I do think this is even dumber than hydroxychloroquine, which is still in the testing stages. But talking about injecting people with disinfectants, and speaking of hydroxychloroquine, the, the FDA came out today and told people not to take that drug outside of a hospital or clinical setting because mm. there was a study released Friday uh, saying medical researchers had to stop a study because death was the, quote, primary outcome. So now we have an answer for Trump when he suggested taking hydroxychloroquine and said, what do you have to lose? Well, it turns out your life. So He's off the hydroxychloroquine <laughs> kick, and now he has a new thing, and it's disinfectants and powerful light and this stuff. And so who knows what will be next time. And I, I, I like how he just muses out loud about potential cures, you know, as millions of people are listening. There was also the time when he wondered about flu vaccine. You know, maybe you could, he said, like, maybe you could, you know, take a really strong flu vaccine and that, that could weaken the coronavirus or knock it out. And then he was corrected in real time by one of his advisors who was like, no, that's no. not how it works. This is a this is a completely different virus. But what amazes me is the confidence that he has. He seemingly has no awareness of how stupid he is. There's literally nothing. There's no awareness of the, the fact that he's not remotely qualified to talk about any of this stuff. Yet he still weighs in as if his opinion means something. It's the confidence of a you know, I, I hate to go down the identity politics um, route here, but it's the confidence of a rich white man in America is astonishing. Like, I, I don't think I, ha- I yet to see someone who's that stupid have that much confidence. Well, maybe Sarah Palin, maybe, maybe Sarah. Palin. But you know what? Even Sarah Palin was, I feel that she was, she was at least kind of, you know, when she made stupid statements, I feel that she was, she, she felt got at, you know what I mean? She was kind of aware that, she, you know, People were making fun of her and saying that she was stupid. But I think that Trump doesn't even understand that people think he's an idiot. I think he has no understanding of this. He just carries on as is because he he keeps doing this over and over and over and over again. Sarah Palin had a bit of a Dunning-Kruger effect going, uh, which is basically you're a person of, of low ability and yet you overestimate your ability and, and you don't realize how ignorant you are about 
certain things. Trump has that going for him, plus narcissistic personality disorder, which is why yes. we're seeing what we're seeing. It, like he's leagues above Palin. He's got the ignorance and stupidity of Palin, but he's got the confidence of somebody who has been studying this stuff for decades. He Trump probably has more confidence in his ability to understand this stuff than Dr. Anthony Fauci or Dr. Deborah Burks, who, by the way, during that clip we played of Trump, there is a great angle that catches Dr. Burks, who is sitting off to the side. It's just focused on her the whole time as Trump a is reaction. talking about, you know, hitting people with a strong light to kill the coronavirus and injecting disinfectants and all of this stuff. And you can just gradually see Burks just become the most horrified human being on the planet. And you can tell that so badly she wanted to get up there and shove Trump away from the podium and say, do not listen to this guy. What, what I want to know is who like are there now no controls on on Trump kind of press schedule? Like is nobody saying hey, maybe we shouldn't do the press briefings anymore because you're essentially destroying your chances of re-election. Oh, he wants to do the press briefings. These are his new rallies. This is how he's getting out to the people. I'm sure, you know, people have suggested, well, I'm not sure, maybe some people have suggested, hey, maybe uh, today we just send out Fauci or we send out Burks or we send out the Surgeon General or even Pence. I am sure Trump is insisting that he go out every day and be front and center because he needs be the presidential. Attention. He's looking presidential, presidential as Trump can be. He relishes in attention and he can't do rallies anymore. And this is his proxy for a rally. The fact that his um, supporters don't seem to care one way or the other, it, it's still, it's, it's amazing. It's because of the filter, because of the media filtering systems, because of Fox News and Breitbart. I wonder... Uh, whether Sean, has Sean Hannity covered this yet, or is it too late? Um, I don't know. I, I wonder what Sean Hannity's response to this was. I'd be interested to see that because he's the kind of interpreter in chief. He, he and Breitbart are the ones who kind of take um, Trump's brain farts and translate them into a palatable um, or, or or a kind of comprehensible um, interpretation for his followers to to, um, to run with, and they are running with it. I mean, if you look at if you look at all the comments on Breitbart about this, uh, it's amazing. They just they 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 think that this is a left wing hit job. This is a smear campaign against Trump for quoting it, for literally just quoting him. And they're saying, oh, you know, Democrats are so stupid that they believe Trump said that. It's like, no, well, he actually did say that, but it has to go through Breitbart. It has to go through these filtering channels for it to be successful. And I think that that's what he kind of. He relies on. But it seems to me, if you look at the, the polling, the polling is, is, I mean, it's bad. It's really bad. Like, there, I think there's an article in Politico today that the Republican Party, it says that Trump's poor poll numbers trigger GOP alarms about November. And they are, a lot of it is specifically about coronavirus, right? It's about how badly he's handling, you know, he's handling the pandemic and these press conferences, that he's just not inspiring confidence in Americans in his ability to deal with this at all, you know, and he's down in the swing states. His approval numbers are down. 
you know, what is it? An NBC Wall Street Journal poll released over the weekend revealed that voters thought Biden would do a better job than Trump in managing the virus by a nine-point margin. A new survey showed Trump trailing Biden in Florida, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. The fact that it's nine points is still disturbing. It should be, you know, it should be fifty points. But still, I mean, this is America, so you have to you have to factor in the red states and this sector of the population that seems to be completely immune from fact and logic and reasoning. But it's it's bad, and I don't don't know whether people around Trump are going to stop this. How, what are they, surely this is an emergency now. It is an emergency. When you say stop this, how do you mean? Yeah, I mean, how, but who stops him now? Well, it has to be Joe Biden, right? Because no one in this administration is going to do anything. But who is left in his administration? I mean, Mike Pe- is Mike Pence? Can he say anything? I don't know. Is there anybody around him? No. Is, he, where is uh, where's where is uh, his daughter? Where's um, um, Ivanka? Ivanka. Where's Ivanka? And where's uh, because look, say what you want about Ivanka, but she's not stupid, right? And neither is um, little what's his face, um, Jared. Jared. <laughs> yeah, he, they're not stupid. They're not stupid, but they've been completely ineffective at reining this guy's worst impulses in, as has everybody else who has served him in this administration. It's been almost three and a half years. Nothing has changed. No one has reined him in. It's not going to yeah. happen. Right. He just fires everybody who, who um, fires anybody who disagrees with him. It fires anybody who says otherwise. I'm waiting for Fauci to go. Like at some point, they're going to have to they're going to get rid of this guy because he's saying things that are they contradict the president. Which uh, Trump is furious. Trump is furious with Fauci. That, that's the kind of apparently that's the word that, that he's really not happy with officials contradicting what he says during his like insane press conferences. But I, I think that you know if this continues, if there are no, if nobody can stop this guy from uttering complete madness, then he's going to destroy his chances of re-election. I I I really do see that. I mean, you've got all these protests kicking off in in. Um, in the red states and it's, it's scary i mean he's killing his own people he's basically urging these people to get out and uh, on these freedom marches to um to, to protest their freedom uh to to so they can get out of the lockdown i mean there there's there's some evidence coming in as well that basically trump supporters are, m- are far more vulnerable to the disease than democrats are you know for a variety of reasons like older demographic you know they're, they're in poorer health um, but also, they're not listening to the advice of medical professionals. They're listening to his advice and these insane governors who keep insisting on opening the st- on on opening the states up way before it's medically safe to do so. It's kind of like a disaster strategy unfolding for this guy, where he is, you know, he's literally killing his own supporters. But you know, and I don't want to see that. You know, I don't want to see people die unnecessarily. It's just sort of grim. It's a grim spectacle to watch. Wait, how long do you think it will be before the first person? injects themselves with Lysol. Surely there are some people out there right now thinking about it. You watch Trump suggest you know, injecting uh, disinfectants and you think to yourself, uh, well, that's just ridiculous. That's crazy. But there are people out there who you don't know what their, you know, what their mental state is. You don't know. And they see the most powerful person in the world recommending, you know, who's a very stable genius yeah, and yeah, yeah. he said, "Gets this stuff. He understands it. It comes to him very quickly. You don't know how they process this information. I mean, to to you or I, it's you know completely inconceivable that that we would do something like that. But in a nation of 320 million people, statistically, I mean, who knows how many people are 
taking his advice. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I would say within a week, someone, we're going to have a report of someone injecting themselves with Lysol because President, President Dickhead said it was a good idea. Speaking of these protests to mm. reopen the country where people aren't social distancing, where people are yelling, yelling at nurses. I don't know if you saw in Arizona, yeah. I think it was, there was a nurse who was basically counter-protesting Actually, there are there are a few instances of these. There, there was the there was the nurse who was getting yelled at by this lady um, out of a the, the passenger side of a pickup truck. She was holding a sign that said "Land of the Free," and she's just screaming at this nurse in scrubs and a mask who's just standing there saying she's saying you should go to China. There was uh, counter protesting. She was being accused of being a paid actor, and it's just just the nastiness at these people who are on the front lines of this pandemic that are being flung at them by Trump supporters. It's, it's fucking infuriating. I find it fucking enraging. Yeah. And, and the fact that Trump is doing nothing to stop it, he's doing, he's not condemning them. Um, he's not, um, providing, uh, any kind of information to these people at all saying, Hey, look, these people are, tr- are trying to save your life. Nothing. He he does, he does absolutely nothing and lets this shit you know, continue. I mean, it's, it is, it's disgusting. But this is what happens when you get a population that's been so badly kind of abused by the right-wing media and the Republican, you know, it's a toxic combination of right-wing media and just unbelievably sort of sociopathic politicians. It's uh, having a discussion the other day about what would an ideal America look like? And an ideal, to me, an ideal America would look like would be you'd have the, you know, you maybe you stick with the two party system, but you have two parties, right? But they would generally be categorized as the centrist Democrats and the progressive Democrats, right? And there's enough difference between those two wings of the Democratic Party for you to have a kind of two, you know, a functioning two party political system. Right. And I think that, that, that there's legitimate debate between the centrists and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. There are legitimate differences, legitimate disagreements uh, over policy and, and how to go about crafting legislation, etc. That's legitimate. But what you've got on the other side, Republican side, is a death cult. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a total death cult. I think um, Noam Chomsky even talked about it. Well, he talked about why he was voting for Biden. He said, yeah, I think it's worth voting for Biden over the organized destruction of humanity. Yeah, it, it gets back to what we talked about a few episodes ago. You know, the Republican Party is they're denying or downplaying climate change, for example, and right. actively taking measures to remove regulations that would slacken its pace. And this is mm. something that affects not just the country, but all of humanity. And yes, other right. countries have to pitch in as well, but the United States is one of the world's biggest polluters. And they just don't care. They just don't care. I, I think I mentioned in that same podcast that a fair mm. number of conservatives believe that Jesus will come back in their lifetime. And so if you think the world is going to end by 2050 or whatever it is, you really have no incentive to give a shit about carbon emissions or shoreline erosion due to rising seas. You don't have an incentive to care about any of that because pretty soon you're going to be dead and you're going to go meet Jesus and climate change will not be a care in the universe as far as you're concerned. 
there's a healthy debate to be had over over how we should tackle this, right? And I think that, you know, if you look in the Democratic Party, there's a sort of a there's definitely a consensus that you need, we need a green de- a new green deal. We need some sort of radical policy to transition to a, car- a carbon free economy. And I think that there are you know there are some plans that I think are better than others, and I think some plans are more realistic than others, and some plans have a better chance of you know being adopted globally. And those are all legitimate debates to be had, I think. But what is not legitimate debate is debate whether climate change is actually happening. It's like the pandemic. I can't believe we're still, we're arguing over whether the pandemic is real or not. Speaking of death cults, did you see what Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, said this week on Tucker Carlson? Oh, God. What did he say this time? Well, he kind of doubled down on a previous version of what he said, but He said this, there are more important things than living, and that is saving this country for my children and my grandchildren and saving this country for all of us. And I don't want to die. Nobody wants to die, but we've got to take some risks and get back in the game and get this country back up and running. Yeah. At what cost? I mean, it's insane. I mean, you're right. He spelled it out. He's talked about people dying. I mean, it's crazy. This is the stated position now of you know, elected officials in this country, that they're actively trying to get people killed. Right. And these are the same people who are against abortion and against assisted suicide. Why? Because allegedly they're pro-life. Well, at least in those cases of abortion and assisted suicide, that's a choice. That's a choice an individual makes. It's not a choice if my boss says, you got to get back to work because we're reopening the economy because the governor said it's okay. And then I go back into work and I increase my interaction, physical interaction with other people, try to social distance as best I can, but can't quite do it. But we have a need of leadership right now and people willing to say, even in the face of these protests, which are being mounted by a a minority of the population, a tiny minority, because we know poll after poll shows that they're actually in support of these stay-at-home orders, like more than 60%, 70%, whatever it is. But people, but nobody wants to be cooped up at home. I get it. But people understand, I think. People get it. And these governors, they need to step in and just say, look, I know you want to get back to work. I understand this is hard. It's going to be tough. But if we go back, reopen everything right now, it's going to be really bad. The virus hasn't gone away. It's still out there and it's waiting for an opportunity like a MAGA rally, for example, to jump from person to person and be transmitted all over the place. And then those people go home and they visit their re- older relatives or auto, you know, immunocompromised relatives and they come down with it. And then the death toll starts to skyrocket again. I mean, and that's why I think we need to be mindful of the fact that this is going to come back. Right, it's going to come back. There will be a second wave. I mean, every expert believes that this is about this is we're going to get hit again in in probably in November. <clears throat> so you know, look what we right what we do now obviously is critical, and how we prepare for the next wave is critical. You know, so I mean, I get it. Like like you say, people want to. I, I'm desperate to to just do something other than stay inside all the time and go on walks. I'd, I'd love to go to a restaurant. I'd love to go to a bar. I'd love to go see my friends. There's, you know, I'd love to go fly and go see my family. But th- there is a sacrifice that we all have to make to ensure that less people die, that fewer people die, right? That, that we take the burden off the healthcare system. And those advocating other courses are essentially signing 
the death warrant of lots and lots and lots, millions, potentially millions of people. I mean, the death toll in America is now, is now the most deadly country to be in the world. Right? You couldn't be in a worse country for coronavirus. Right? And that's all thanks to to the policies of the Trump administration. This could have been, this crisis could have been averted. Right? We could have had low numbers if there was leadership, as you say. But there's just there is no leadership. It's responding like a like a third world country, basically. There, you can't really call America a first world country anymore. It's not a modern industrialized democracy. It's basically a sort of a banana republic where you've got a, a very small wealthy elite, and uh, you, you know the rest of us are kind of subject to the whims of 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 the free market. Uh, and when that free market basically stops working, which it stopped working now, then the the owners of our society. Basically, that's why they're desperate to reopen because they they get rich when the, the cogs of capitalism start working. They can't give a fuck about people's lives. They care about lining their own wallets and making sure that they the stock market keeps going up and up and up and up and up. Which bizarrely it, it is. It's still uh, we talk about this every week, but the stock market again is just completely divorced from reality. Right. We had yesterday, it was reported that the previous week, four and a half million Americans had applied for unemployment. That brings the total to, I think, 26 or 27 million the last mm. uh, four or five weeks. These reports come out in the morning around 8.30, I believe, on Thursday. Every single day, these reports have come out. Markets, the Dow anyway, has ended the day in positive territory. Some of the gains yeah. have been very modest. Some of the gains have been huge. It has gone up every single one of those Thursdays because investors, I think, they are banking on the fact that the Federal Reserve will do absolutely whatever it can to make money easily available to banks. It will do quantitative easing. It will buy junk bonds. It will do repurchase agreements. Whatever it is, they are going to pursue a, an extremely dovish monetary policy, which is generally good for stocks, not so good for everyday Americans who believe in things like saving their money for a rainy day or saving their because they're getting crushed inflation wise because if you know if you're if you're in a cd or you know you're only getting an annual yield of like one percent on your savings and in the inflation rate is like two two and a half or three percent which is usually what the yearly range is at the end of the year you're going to have less purchasing power because we've created this system which incentivizes people to spend as opposed right. to saving their money, you know, like I'm old enough to remember when my parents tried to instill in me the value of saving money and getting interest in your savings account and savings bonds and all of this stuff. That is now all out the window, completely destroyed by many years of zero interest rate policies, courtesy of the Fed, which has a ripple effect throughout the broader economy, because these banks can borrow from the Fed at rock bottom rates. So they don't have to offer their, they don't need to offer you a big yield for capitalizing them. They can just go to the Fed and borrow money on the cheap and then turn around and offer a credit card for at 25% or 30% or whatever it is. What a business model that is. Imagine if you got to borrow money at like zero interest, and then you got to take that money and then lend it out to other people at these exorbitant rates. Like that's a yeah. can't fail business model. And yet from time to time, banks fail. I don't know how they do it, but they do. 
and we have to bail them out again. You know, Fires. and that's yeah, it, it it it's an insane system. I mean, that, I do hope that um, Biden picks um, Elizabeth Warren um, as his running mate. I really do, just for that. I think she would probably be the best candidate for, for vice president, and I think that based on her extremely nuanced understanding of Wall Street and and economics, I think she would be a fantastic person to try and sort this mess out, or at least start to regulate it properly. So I'm, I'm, I hope to God that he does put Elizabeth Warren in. That would be a great sign, a great uh, threat to Wall Street. And they would probably respond in kind. They'd probably respond by smearing her. But I don't think, you know, maybe this provides an opportunity to do that, to really get a reformer in. Yeah, no, I just, I think it could be a good opportunity. Who knows? I think that Biden is definitely towards the, uh, you know, he, he's not got a great track record when it comes to um, regulating financial companies. I'm skeptical for two reasons. I too, I too want him to pick Elizabeth Warren as mm-hmm. vice president. I think Biden is, you know, as we've mentioned, the guy is 77 years old and he's kind of lost many, many steps. But I see a problem with that pick for two reasons. The, the first is Warren is in her 70s and mm. Biden is also in her, his 70s. So Elizabeth Warren is just in her 70s. She's just there, right? She's, she's just turned 70, isn't she? Uh, she's going to be 71 in June. So th- that's one. And I think if who knows what the Biden campaign thinks or how they're thinking about this. But another white 70 something year old could be problematic for them. I don't mm-hmm. think people would make a big stink about it. In fact, there was just a poll that showed that white people were more likely to think it was problematic that an older white man is the Democratic nominee. As opposed to blacks and Hispanics, blacks and Hispanics actually thought it was less of an issue. They cared less about the fact that the Democratic nominee was an old white dude, which is interesting. But I I think they'll pick Kamala Harris. She checks two boxes, a woman and a woman of color. The other reason the Biden campaign might be disinclined to pick Warren is because who they have hired as an economic advisor, and that is Larry Summers. Larry Summers was a high-ranking Treasury official in the Bill Clinton administration. He was Deputy Treasury Secretary, I believe, and then took over as Treasury Secretary. And this guy, I don't know if he's ever met a financial regulation he didn't want to get rid of. He was very much in favor of repealing the Glass-Steagall Act, which prohibited financial companies from acting as investment banks and commercial banks simultaneously. He favored the Commodities Futures Modernization Act. That Mm. deregulated the derivatives market, which proved to be disastrous going into the Great Recession, helped bring about the Great Recession in 2008. And he, of course, uh, supported bailing out the banks responsible for the mess and not say the homeowners whose mortgages were underwater. And he went on to become an advisor of Obama's 
as well. And that is just anathema to what Elizabeth Warren stands for. Now, I know he's just an advisor right now, but the idea that the same campaign would be employing Summers as an advisor and then go on to pick Elizabeth Warren as vice president would be almost unthinkable, I think. I hope I'm wrong, but that's where things stand at the moment. And who knows, yeah, like, I, I, Larry Summers, if he has anything to say about a potential VP pick, he's probably going to steer Biden away from Warren. I think it would be it would go a long way to ease the, the suspicions of his of, you know, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party if he got uh, Warren in. I think that would be a good idea. Personally, I think it would be a good idea. You know, I think it would sp- it would speak to his ability to kind of bridge divides if he he did that. If he could have a diverse sort of selection of 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 opinions in you know advising him, you know, so you would you 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 know on one hand you'd have somebody like Larry Summers, and then on, then you'd have Elizabeth Warren as well. I although I I fear that you might be right on this. I don't know. I think I think it was something that Obama would probably do something like that. Obama would have a kind of a broad, much broader sort of. I didn't. He have he had Timothy Geithner, and he also had Paul Volcker. I don't know. It remains to be seen whether Biden um, is going to be do the same thing. Whether he'll have is he going to do the kind of pull in the same old characters from the last sort of 30, 30 years of uh, democratic politics, or is he going to bring in some some fresh blood? I'd, I'd like to see him bring in new people. Um, I'd like to see what he's doing with, you know, he announced this task force with Bernie Sanders to kind of bridge the policy divide between the progressive and the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. I want to see what that yields. I, I, I have hope. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic about it. But, uh, you know, I definitely think that yeah, you could you could well be right that he just he's going to bring in these dinosaurs like Larry Summers. And that would be a that would be a damn shame. Yeah, and you know what's even crazier than bringing in Summers? His senior advisor, one of his senior advisors, is Anita Dunn. And, you know, she was a, she's an alum of the Obama administration. Anita Dunn did public relations for Harvey Weinstein after those women accused him of rape. And now she's advising the Biden campaign. It's like, why is this necessary? Like, you're telling me there isn't another person who's as capable as her who hasn't mm. represented a serial rapist. And by the way, when you have a candidate that's been accused of sexual assault, as Joe Biden has, I'm not saying the allegation is credible, but it just looks kind of weird when you hire someone who has experience trying to run cover for people who are actually, or at least a person who is actually accused and convicted of sexual assault. And it's teed up for Trump. I mean, I can just picture him saying, Sleepy Joe Biden got... Anita Dunn working for him. Anita, she worked for Harvey Weinstein after that whole mess. And now with that woman accusing Joe, they bring in Anita Dunn. There, there needs to be someone who, in this campaign whose job it is to at least ask the question, is this someone we want working with us or in the administration? So this is just another example like of a total inability on the part of the Democratic nominee just to think different in terms of the people that they're bringing in and they're bringing the same people regardless of their track record because they feel that there's some kind of security blanket like with summers like oh larry yeah he's been around forever yeah he did well by clinton he did well by obama when he didn't he's fine bring him back in the fold maybe i don't know maybe obama is going to i i from what i understand obama is 
heavily, heavily involved in the Biden campaign. I would hope that his he his wisdom would be of use here and say, look, you need to think about the optics. But, you know, Obama, Obama definitely made mistakes too. You know, Obama definitely uh, had people like we talked about, you know, Timothy Geithner. So, yeah, it's it's definitely concerning, definitely concerning. Although, again, we've got to, I think we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. It's definitely not good, but we are dealing with a president who is recommending Americans drink uh, Lysol to cure coronavirus. Inject so Lysol. In, sorry, yeah, in, inject Lysol. It's always a sort of this is the the argument I I continually having with friends of mine who are uh, who are uh, never Biden Democrats or or not even I, they wouldn't even classify themselves as Democrats. I take a lot of their criticism. I I buy it. You know, I understand where they're coming from. But you look at what we're up against, and uh, I'll take it. You know, I'll t- I'll take Biden over over this lunatic any any day of the week. You know, and it looks like he's not actually going to have to do that much to get elected, which is another kind of crazy thing about this election. If you look at the primary as well, that Biden he didn't really do anything. You know what I mean? He wasn't really a massively active campaigner. He did okay in the debates. I would think he was he was fine, and uh, yeah, yet he still just kind of completely dominated the uh, the, the Democratic primary, and it looks like you know, all he's doing now is doing podcasts from his basement and giving giving these um, fireside chats or whatever whatever they are, these videos that he releases, and he's he's battering Trump in the polls. So I was having I wonder whether this whole coronavirus thing is helping him. I don't know, you know, because I think that Trump would benefit more from having all these presidential rallies. I think that Trump, like you were saying, that Trump, Trump's whole, his rallies are now his, these press briefings that he's giving. But I think that this is it's definitely working to Biden's advantage. And it could be a case where the 2020 election, Joe Biden barely does any campaigning and he still wins the presidency. If I learned anything from 2016, mm-hmm. it's not to put too much stock in polls this early on. There was a whole host of polls that had some weird results. They're like mm-hmm. Hillary was in striking distance in Texas, like she was within the margin of error. She was, I think, maybe leading Georgia at one point or pretty close there. One poll had her maybe winning Utah or at least Evan McMullen winning Utah, running independent. You know, people mm. were predicting a landslide uh, even later than than this point than than we're at now in in the campaign. When Definitely once they get, have don't get happy, don't yeah, get don't happy. get happy, don't get complacent. Once they have their first debate, then maybe I'll start paying attention to polls. But even then, it'll still be it'll still be really early. And you know, even like going into the last you know week or two of the campaign, like it looked like Hillary had the thing in the bag, and she didn't. So I, I am yeah. really, I'm trying to stay away from polls right now. I mean, I cover it every week. I in in the banter brief we send out every Friday. I try, I cover it. I look at the polls. You know, what's a snapshot of the polls? It, it is remarkably similar to what happened with Clinton, but you know what happened with Hillary Clinton was. A, a massive anomaly. I mean, tr- Trump's success was dependent on 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 some fluke, or basically flukes, and eking out victories, like really eking them out by a few thousand votes in crucial states, um, and to like very bad miscalculations by the Clinton campaign uh, as to where they put their resources. I don't think Biden's going to make that mistake again, and I think that maybe it's not. You can't discount polls completely. I think polls are still they still can be useful. 
but you're always going to get these kind of uh, these these anomalies. So anyway, that's my positive spin on it. I I don't know. Again, you know, I don't want to get too happy because of because of what happened last time. It's going to come down to how much of a break people want to cut Trump. When they go to vote, economically, things are going to be a dumpster fire. They're a dumpster fire now. It's probably going to be more so in November. So the old adage, voters vote based on how they're doing now compared to four years ago. By and large, they're going to be worse off come November than they were four years ago. But then the other side of that is Trump has portrayed himself as a wartime president, as this is a kind of war. So Mm. how much will that factor into the decision? Like, yes, I'm not doing as well as I was, but how much is that owed to circumstances that were beyond the president's control that maybe he's doing his best to handle or maybe not? I don't know. Somewhere in there. That's, I think, basically going to be the general calculus that a lot of these swing voters make when they head into the booth. If they can head into the booth, it might if be If they can head into the booth, exactly. There are so many factors that, that go into these elections that it is you, it's impossible to make these predictions. But I just will say that, you know, if I was to put, if I had someone put a gun to my head and I had to put money on who I th- thought was going to win, I would say Biden right now. I think it's fairly clear. You might be right. I should. I hope you're right. Let's move on to another loathsome Republican, and that is Mitch McConnell. This week, uh, Chuck Schumer, he did a Chuck Schumer thing uh, by caving to McConnell on a $484 billion coronavirus relief bill that included no more funding for state and local governments, no more stimulus checks, no food stamp assistance, no hazard pay for first responders and other essential workers. Um, McConnell <laughs> did make a big concession, though, and that was that he and the Republicans agreed to more funding for hospitals and coronavirus testing. So that was the big concession. So the Senate passed it. The House passed it on Thursday, and Schumer Afterwards, he said that there needs to be another relief bill. Uh, yeah, this one. So Schumer, I guess, he settled on the four hundred eighty-four billion, thinking there's going to be another package coming down the line. But McConnell is saying not so fast, and he, McConnell's office, issued a couple of press releases based on uh, interviews he had given to, uh, I think, Fox News and uh, the Hugh Hewitt radio show, that turd. Mm. Uh, And there's a really infuriating section in them, and it's called Preventing Blue State Bailouts, you know, as if the only states hurting right now are Democratic ones and not Republican ones. He said, I'll quote from the press release, we're going to take a pause here, or should I do it in the Mitch McConnell voice? I don't know if I can do a Mitch McConnell voice. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to take a pause here. We're going to wait until at least May 4th. No, I'm not going to do that. He said, <laughs> he said, we're going to take a pause here. We're going to wait until at least May 4th, which is the time we're going to have everyone back in the Senate and clearly weigh before we provide assistance to states and local governments who would love for us to borrow money from future generations to make sure that they have no revenue losses. Before we make that decision, we're going to weigh the impact of what we're already of what we've already added to the national debt 
and make sure that if we provide additional assistance for state and local governments, it's only for coronavirus-related matters. We're not interested in solving their pension problems for them. We're not interested in rescuing them from the bad decisions they've made in the past. We're not going to let them take advantage of this pandemic to solve a lot of problems that they created for themselves and bad decisions they made in the past. All right. So the the easiest one to dismiss out of hand here is his alleged concern about the debt. The Republican Party does not give two flying fucks about the debt. Okay. They've never met a revenue-killing tax cut they didn't like. They've never met a debt-funded war they didn't like. They, along with Democrats, admittedly, they jack up military spending every year by overloading the Pentagon's budget with programs it doesn't want, but because some constituents in a swing district are employed by some defense contractor, representatives and senators, like they jam it in there as pork. And of course, every time we get a Republican president, the deficit ex- has exploded. The national debt right. has exploded. Republicans do not care about deficits and the debt. And when a Democrat right. is president, Republicans can't shut up about it. When a Republican right. is president, it's like, how much do you need? And McConnell is only talking about debt here because I guess he thinks he can portray blue states as the fiscally irresponsible ones whose pensions are in tatters, as if that doesn't go right. for red states as well, including, by the way, his home state of Kentucky, which is one of the most – has one of the most underfunded state pension funds in the country. And so this idea of a blue state bailout was called out on, I think, Thursday by Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York. And finally, a blue state uh, politician pointed this out, and he's like, look, we get less money back than we put into the federal pot. Kentucky gets more money back than they put into the federal pot. So who's getting the bailout here? Who is subsidizing who? I mean, I, I think, you know, and this is where I think the federal government, like as it works under Trump now, we're kind of seeing it's being kind of laid bare how dysfunctional it is and how the state the, the state system, I mean, it's, a, it, it's mad. I mean, the fact that the republic, you can take more money in your own state, the, the fact that Mitch McConnell, his state takes in more money Right, they're basically getting bailed out. They're being subsidized by blue states, right? By, by blue states, basically New York and California. Yet you can then go out and say that we're not going to bail out blue states with their own money, with the money that they've been put, pumping into the into the federal government that he gets more of. It's insane. I mean, I, I don't know how you kind of rectify this problem. And this is the sort of the bizarre thing I see with uh, Republicans who in these red states uh, who are who are so anti-welfare. So, OK, you're anti-welfare. All right. Let's stop your federal subsidies then. OK, no more federal subsidies. Blue states, you know, basically what you put into the federal government, you get back out of it. So if you don't put much in, you don't get you don't get anything out. It's means tested. But obviously you can't have that kind of a system. Otherwise, the whole, entire United States falls apart. But. The hypocrisy is just mind blowing. And I don't know how you how do you reinforce that message? How do you kind of make these do you think Mitch McConnell understands this? I mean intellectually he must understand. Yes. He for must sure. Understand it. No, Mitch McConnell is a smart guy. He knows he knows what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing in this case, though. I've kind of been racking my brain the last few days as to his approach to this, because the states 
they're going to need more aid. They're go- we've we said before in a podcast a while back, the size of the stimulus that will be needed for people, for businesses, for state and local governments will be massive. It's going to need to be bigger than it has been. So I'm a little puzzled to what McConnell is doing. So not giving, take the states, for example, Mm. not giving states more aid puts them in a position where they need to make cuts and shrink government, which Republicans are fans of, which McConnell is a fan of. So it makes sense there. On the other hand, you could easily argue that this is bad for Trump because as these governments make cuts, and it's not just going to be blue state governments, it's it's going to be red state government. They're going to have to cut teachers, police, fire, mm-hmm. and people are going to see this stuff going on and they're going to say, well, things are getting bad here. They're supposed to get better. Who do we blame? You know, you can they can blame McConnell. If the Democrats were competent messengers, they could mm. blame McConnell in this situation. They could also blame Trump for not leaning on McConnell. Like, why didn't you fight for us? Why didn't you fight to keep, you know, more police officers and first responders and all of this stuff? Why didn't you fight for more stimulus checks? Why didn't you fight for more loans to small businesses? Why didn't you do this stuff? And McConnell has basically said that he has no plans for any more of that. Yeah, he said he'll reassess to see where mm. they're at, but he seems pretty reluctant to show that he's willing to do anything more. So I, I think if the Senate just sits on its hands and doesn't do anything else, and the mm. Congress as a whole doesn't do anything else, because the House is, of course, re- controlled by the Democrats, so if if the House and Senate aren't on agreement, nothing's going to get done, that'll be bad for Trump which you would think McConnell would want to help him because he's a Republican. On the other hand, I have to imagine McConnell is sick of Trump's bullshit and having yeah. to work with this guy. So maybe McConnell is willing to see Trump lose the election. That would make McConnell the most powerful Republican in the country. Uh, th- that's assuming he w- wins re-election because McConnell himself is up for re-election this year against Amy McGrath. Yeah. And that's not, that's not a clear cut, though, is it? It's not clear it's not. That, that he's going to win that. No, it's not. He's one of the most unpopular senators in the country. I don't know the last time a Democrat won a U.S. Senate race in Kentucky. It's going to be very hard for her. But in the scenario where the Democrat wins, Biden, unless they replace him at the convention uh, mm. last minute, in a scenario where Biden wins, we know what the deal will be. He'll just obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. And put the yeah. 2024 Republican nominee in a position where he or she can say, hey, Biden did nothing for the last four years, thanks to Mitch McConnell. They'll leave that part out and then go on to win in 2024. I don't know what Mitch McConnell is thinking. I'm not sure anyone does. John Yarmuth, who is a congressman from Kentucky and a Democrat, he's known McConnell for a long time. And he's on the record as saying that the only thing that McConnell cares about is is power, for power's sake. He doesn't have any core yeah. principles or anything like that. So viewed through that lens... There's uh, a longer play here. There must be some sort of longer play that he's, he's looking at. It's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I actually was quite happy that um, I do think that, that Biden um, running for president, uh, being the, the Trump's opponent, is actually better for Senate Democrats than, than most other candidates because he's less polarizing. And I think it does lead the way for 
um, the Democrats to have a chance at taking back the Senate. So that's that's one that would be one if they can take back the Senate. Th- th- this would be that would be a complete and total victory. If they take back the presidency and the Senate, that that's a that's a win. That's a huge, huge, huge win. At getting rid of this guy, making sure, making blocking Mitch McConnell, and um, you know he is the most destructive politician I think in the past, at least in the past ten years. More than Trump? Yeah, because he's enabled Trump. He's enabled Trump. Trump, um, he's provided so much political cover for Trump. It's it's unreal. You know, I don't think without McConnell, uh, Trump would be anywhere near as... Um, well, I mean, most all, all, all Republicans have covered for this guy. But Mitch McConnell in particular, I think, has paved the way for a lot of Trump's policies and a lot of Trump's insanity to just go completely unchecked and completely unpunished. They, they did a calculation. I think that... So, you know, Republicans basically did a calculation. So, yeah, look, we can get some stuff out of this guy. So let's provide him the cover. Let's provide him cover. You know, let's provide him political cover uh, and make sure that he is able to get the things done that we want him to get done. Which has been great. You know, he has been activist judges, you know, giant tax cuts. He's been great for Republicans from a policy perspective. He, re- he really has. Um, but it just, you know, remains to be seen whether that was... At some point, the counter effect, the the blowback you're going to get from all this stuff is going to be so extreme. How long can this go on for? How long can they keep destroying the country until there's, you know, until there's they're forced to kind of come to forced to reckon with uh, the sort of gross mistakes that they've been making and the the enormous fuck ups and the anger that they've they've generated in the opposition. It's uh, I, I do see McConnell as being one of the most evil politicians, you know, in American history. Absolutely. Because he know, he clearly know he clearly thinks Trump is an idiot. Like there's no doubt about that. He's not as you said, he's not stupid. So he knows Trump's stupid, but he can he can manipulate him and he can um, ensure that things that he wants to get done get done. Well anyway, I think um, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. That's that's awesome. Anything else? Anything else you have, Mike? You want to want to discuss before before we uh, before we wrap up? No, no. I uh, I need to get going. Uh, I need to go pick up some four oh nine at the drugstore down the street and uh, and get to injecting. So and stop that Rona. I'll let you know how my combined therapy goes, but I'm going to do both. Of I'm going to take both the president's recommendations. Yeah, and 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 maybe we'll be here next week. Maybe we won't be. Maybe we won't. Yeah. In fact, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to take some of the malaria drugs as well, just just to just to make sure. Careful, they can give you bad nightmares. <laughs> I've actually taken them before. I've actually taken anti-malarial drugs. Same. Before. I, yeah. Horrible. Horrendous. I'd probably rather have coronavirus than than, than take malaria drugs again. Yeah, it's like an have, acid so. trip while you're sleeping. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Was um, was ha- dream having nightmares on larium. I think I took malarone. I'll take my risk with coronavirus, and I'm and I'm I'm not being facetious there. I actually am. T- I'm being completely honest. I, I would I would rather have coronavirus. I would take my chances than go back on larium. But um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's enough for uh, enough for today, and we'll see everybody next week. Uh, where we'd like to say that we we plan out the topics in advance, but given we're living in the age of Trump, topics change from minute to minute, um, usually according to the president's Twitter timeline. Um, but yeah, we're going to uh, we'll have lots to say, I'm sure. Bye, everyone. Take care.